Hey everybody, Craig Sage here. It is now Friday, February 26th, 2021. I recorded this, I think, on Monday night. Didn't get it up in time for the game. Wanted to do some mailbag stuff. Questions weren't as voluminous as always, so I just said, you know what, screw it, Bennett, throw this bad boy up. There is some, a lot of relevant stuff here moving forward. Obviously, it's changed to some degree um, due to the loss. But look, UMass still controls its own destiny here. Could still get a top four finish with a win at St. Louis. Would be assured of one. And even there's a scenario in which they could lose and still get a top four finish due to the absurdity of everything this year. So enjoy the show. Shout out to five college movers. And uh, we'll do a long one, hopefully, in advance of the A-10 tournament. Peace. This girl from my past, that ridiculous ass. She attended UMass and she passed every class. Walked down the hall with a stuck up sass from the basketball player. Oh, See, it's time to pay dues, deliver the news. Like UMass, we refuse to do. Yeah. I like a really huge ass. Bend over, take to the church, that she a UMass. I think I'd rather die in a nuclear war than go to Olympia. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. My name is Curry Hicks Sage. I'm coming to you live from New York City. This is the UMass Basketball Podcast. It is Monday, February 22nd, 2021. We are one year, if I'm not mistaken, removed from the last time many of us stalwarts of this program got together for a UMass win at Rose Hill Gymnasium at Fordham. Uh, Not long after that, at least for me, it was the last one I got to because I didn't get up there um, after that. And ever since, we've been in pandemic mode. Maybe I'm making up the 22nd, but I feel like that was the date. We're not talking about that tonight. I wanted to jump on here. I had had grand ambitions of bringing a friend of UMass Twitter, Amelia Vogler, a Richmond fan on. And I kind of never got back to her. I had a very busy day in real life. And I just realized it's 10.30 at night. We have tomorrow the first of two of the biggest games in UMass, in recent UMass basketball history, I should say, uh, certainly of the last decade. And I have to talk about it because that's what the show is. And it's absolutely bizarro the circumstances that surround all of this and I and I feel like this is a rare episode I need to put out for posterity's sake because what may transpire in the next two weeks could will determine the future of this program and it could go a lot of different ways and it was one of those ones that I just felt like I needed to get out because we're going to look back on these next two weeks, and I really do believe this. I don't mean to be like overly prophetic or sage-like, if you will, but I really do believe these two weeks will determine the next five years of UMass basketball one way or the other. So before we get into that, tonight's show being brought to you by the fine folks at Five College Movers, world-class, stress-free moving in the Pioneer Valley and beyond if you go anywhere. Go with Five College. Call Pat and the gang at Five College. Tell them we sent you. Friends of the show, friends of UMass Athletics, friends of UMass Basketball, friends of UMass Twitter, jump in tomorrow night, or tonight, because you'll probably be listening to this on right before the game, provided Bennett can get it up. Uh, jump into their uh, game competitions that they do. They're giving away $50 gift cards to various places. It's a lot of fun, so make sure you play the games tomorrow night. Follow Five College Movers on Twitter. Okay. Wow. So here we are. Let's just let's just reiterate because we're not going to remember this in five years if we ever listen to this episode again. Perhaps someone will. Let's just reiterate that UMass has not played a basketball game in 16 days when they take the court against Richmond tomorrow night. It will be have been 17 days, and they did not start practicing again. I don't think until Friday. So they'll have had Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday to prepare. Uh, but one of those is a travel day and you know probably a lighter practice. So let's just go back to kind of where we were the last time we even did an episode, which I don't remember. This is the third pandemic pause 
that we're coming out of. This was the uh, least self-inflicted of the three pauses. Not to suggest that you know people should you know deserve blame or whatever for COVID, but this one was a function of the entire campus being shut down with some absolutely draconian, over-the-top, not public health informed or not you know not terribly data driven public health practices uh, that, that'll be a scandal that I hope gets you know some investigation down the line I hope some serious journalist types do you know hold the school's feet to the fire but it was a disaster the team suffered as a result of uh, of that broader policy choice and you know some uh, some breakouts on campus I hope everyone is safe um, you know, that being said, let's get to the basketball implications because that's what we do on this show. So they're shut down and they're shut down in the most fitting and UMassy fashion, uh, which is to say they're shut down. It, what felt like mere hours, maybe it was next, the following Monday, but it felt like the Sunday after the absolutely spectacular win over the University of Rhode Island at Rhode Island without Trey Mitchell, without Noah Fernandez. Awesome win. I don't think we've even done an episode on it. Oh, no, I did. I did an episode right after that game. And then like sort of a celebration episode. And then right after that, the news hit, and we haven't talked since. Now, in some ways, let's just also remind you that UMass was five and four after the Dayton loss, then lost, then went on another pause um, where they missed games because Davidson had, did I say Dayton initially? It was Davidson, where Davidson's bigs had COVID. So we then missed like our next two, I think, George Mason and Dayton. I, I forget. We missed a couple games there and we got back at it. Um, and basically beat Fordham narrowly in kind of an ugly game at Mullins by like six, and then you know you kind of were starting to think it was the beginning of the end. You were you were six and four, but you had you lost Mitchell and Fernandez. You were going at Rhode Island, and then you had games right after, like shortly thereafter, again likely without those two uh, against Dayton, and then. Um, Bonaventure. So you had like a, and no, and then they had thrown in the VCU game. So you were going to play three of the top six, seven, eight teams, including really two of the top uh, three back to back, arguably the top two back to back um, with like no rest. So it was like a ridiculous scenario. So you were almost assuredly going to drop to you drop four games in the matter in a matter of eight days and you know basically see this you know kind of middling season definitively go into the shitter so that's kind of where the cynical UMass fan brain was at but despite the injuries they won the game against Brody and then the shutdown ensured that they missed all three of those games so they're six and two and now Fast forward a couple more weeks where the schedule has changed dramatically again, and UMass is technically speaking right now in sole possession of first place. So you went from conceivably looking, staring down the barrel very realistically at ninth, maybe? Right? I mean, like, you, you lose those four, and you'd be, you'd be six, and there'd be, so if you're five and four and you drop four in a row, you'd be. Um, like, sorry, it's been a long day. Anyway, you'd be five and eight, right? And so, you know, you're staring down the barrel at five and eight, which would, you know, and then and then who knows how they finish the schedule? Maybe they get win against St. Joe's or whatever, and eke another one out. I mean, but it, it was not looking good, right? I mean, <laughs> you were staring at the barrel of a sub 500 season, very realistically, especially with those two didn't come back. Well, now. Despite the third pause, they're back. And what the A-10 did was put two games on the schedule. There's no more home games at UMass, but they did put two road games on the schedule, very difficult road games. Tomorrow night at Richmond, 
Monday, they changed it so you have six days, Monday at um, at St. Louis. Now remember, Richmond and St. Louis in the preseason were widely perceived as the top two teams in the league. Like, undoubtedly. It was them, you know, in one order or another. One, two. Both have had their own sets of challenges, largely COVID-inflicted, and have had some really disappointing league losses, and somehow now are both beneath UMass. Both have also played limited games like UMass. Now, in the interim, during all this, the other news that I forgot to mention was that they changed, they announced a pair of different conference tournament scenarios. So they, were, they had one and they sort of tweaked it. So let's just get into that really quick. The tournament goes the third to the sixth in Richmond at both VCU and Richmond. Those are the sites. So the finale is for UMass would be Monday night in, um, in, uh, St. Louis. The team will then fly directly to Richmond and have what appears to be three or four, depending on what happens in the next few games and their situation with buys, three or four nights, days to prepare for their first Atlantic 10 Conference tournament opponent. Meantime, these two games, uh, when you factor in Davidson's loss yesterday at the hands of St. Bonaventure, mean that if UMass wins both and finishes the season 8-2, and two, they are now officially assured of winning the Atlantic 10 regular season title. So, from the last, basically since the last time UMass played, or shortly there before, because it kind of thought we would lose to Rhodey. So if you think of the hour before the Rhode Island game, when UMass was a ten, fell to a ten point, under, had fallen on the in the Vegas line to a ten point dog, if I recall right. So you take like an basically like, you know, sixteen days ago. If you go from there to now, UMass has was staring down the barrel at a pretty plausible, like six and eight type finish. Maybe you beat Duquesne too, but I don't know. Without those two studs, I'm not sure. So you're staring at like a, basically, you know, ambitiously a 500 season, and now you're looking at an Atlantic 10 crown for the first time since 2007. <laughs> now, let's just note the caveats for posterity's sake. This UMass team is 6-2 and two in the league. Let's not take anything away from them. But, those three uh, those six wins are all against three teams. They are sweeps of the, what I believe are the 10th, 12th, and 13th place teams out of 14 in the league. Rody may, may even be 11 now. I don't know. So the naysayers have every right to be skeptical of the legitimacy of UMass's number one uh, spot in the standings right now. You know, it would be, you know, I could I can wear the maroonest of tinged glasses and still not make a legitimate argument that UMass is better than St. Bonaventure, better than Davidson, better than, you know, I, I think actually that the struggles of St. Louis and Richmond, you know, that's debatable, but there's three or four teams better than VCU. I mean, you cannot make that case. I mean, you just, you just can't. However, as I've noted on Twitter and elsewhere, if UMass goes on the road coming off of a pause and wins at two of the top teams in the league to end the season, they are just as deserving of that number one seed that they would get as any other team in this league. So again, it's a study in contrasts. Right now, the 6-2 and two looks kind of ridiculous, but the circumstances that would lead them to get to eight and two are equally challenging, and therefore negate the absurdity of of the the current number one seed. And you know there is going to be some homer out there who says you shouldn't take anything away from the fact that this team is, uh, you know, number one in the league on February twenty second. And I say bullshit. Like, come on. I mean, I'm I'm very I'm eternally pleased with that win over Rhode Island, but. 
you get six wins over um, the bottom of the league. There's just no, there's just you know, and you have, and you literally haven't played. You know, it's no fault of your own, but you literally haven't played. I mean, you only played five of the thirteen opponents you'll play, and you're only going to play seven all year. So you know, I, I you know, so I mean, like, let's just acknowledge that this is a preposterous year, and yet, and yet. This is what it is. This is this is COVID era college basketball. You know, you can only do what you're able to do. And so, going back to the opening of this program, when you think about the implications of the next two weeks, it will determine the next five years of this basketball program, whether we like it or not. So let's go. Let's let's zoom out a little more. And let's talk about sort of why that is the case. We don't have to zoom out forever, but this is basically year two of McCall's second act, if you will, right? He, he cans his whole staff. He hires a new staff after his disappointing year two. Complete roster overhaul. I don't think there's anyone. There's, Carl Pierre is the only one remaining from that team two years ago, which is pretty, which is pretty incredible. And this year, and then there was improvement last year, and people were very excited for this year. You know, rewind a little bit to those early uh, disappointing losses to Northeastern and Bryant, and then another to George Mason, all three of which I still think should have been wins. Certainly two of them should have been. Certainly, George Mason should have been. He should be seven and one, and looking at a top four seed, kind of regardless of what happens in these final two. But we don't need to get into that. There was a lot of disappointment. There was a lot of questioning of Matt McCall. You know, the future of the program. Is he right to lead it? There were calls that not long ago. I mean, not long ago, for him to resign mid-season. <laughs> it's pretty astonishing to think of the ups and downs, even of a short 11-game season. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing to think back on that. And I, I had, you know, I had no interest in canning him mid-season, but it really, or even at the end of this season, but I was sort of resigned to the fact that we were probably looking at a lame duck year next year after this one. I thought, you know, given the COVID factors and given, you know, his contract situation, they weren't going to can him, but, you know, we kind of were looking at a lame duck year next year. Now, you're staring down the barrel of a conference title. So, and yet, you're also not far off from three straight losses in ugly fashion and ending the year 500 with essentially a 500 league record you are assured of an of a better than that though i mean cuz you're 6 and 2 so if you lost the next 3 you'd be 6 and 5 so you know you you know you know so you're not going to have a sub 500 league record which is why he's not going to get canned at the end of the year but Let's go to the very bad first. If you lose these next two, which, like, let's be honest, on paper, I think we're an eight-and-a-half-point favorite underdog tomorrow night, and it'll probably be something similar at St. Louis. On paper, you're absolutely not expected to win either of these games. And, like, I, and again, I wouldn't blame... I'm not going to fault them for losing. It's very difficult to come back, uh, given these circumstances. You know, it is what it is, and I'm not going to make excuses for them, but it's, a, it's, it's, not, it's not a favorable predicament for anyone to be in, as we've seen with... Other teams trying to come back from their, you know, pauses, they've really struggled. And it's not like we have a random D3 opponent thrown in the mix as some other programs did uh, when we're bouncing back from their situation. So let's say you go, uh, you end the year in league six and four, you're seven and six overall in the most shortened of seasons. And you enter conference tournament play at that point, you know, you're six and four, so you're probably going to finish with like a six seed, I, I would imagine, six or seven, depending on how these things play out. Uh, but without wins over anyone up top in the standings, you really don't have any tiebreaker possibilities. So all of those kind of borderline teams that are 
anywhere from like four and three now to uh, you know Dayton or whatever who's like I want to say probably eight and five or something like you're gonna you know you're gonna miss so you you could be seven eight even I don't think you could fall as far as nine but let's just say you're seventh or something. So you get the 10 seed on the second day of the conference tournament, which could be, like, a respectable team. It could be Rhode Island, okay? There's a perfect example. Very hard to beat a team three times in a season. You lose to your rival in the third try, and now you're 7-7 seven and seven to end the year with a, a bitter taste in your mouth, uh, you know, after losing a roadie. That's a long off season. <laughs> You know, certainly not. It's certainly not getting Matt McCall an extension or a new job. And I think that you know, I, I think that guys coming off of that situation, coming off of the pauses, there are 100% going to be guys who are looking at other options. Let's just let's just be real, kids. Are, like like kids, like human beings, but kids especially, are fickle. And, um, you know, if other options present themselves, you know, this is going to be a strange transfer market. It doesn't, doesn't appear like you have to really sit out. Um, and there's a lot of freshmen on this team that are going to be, if not high major, like they're going to be in the mix for sort of like role players at high majors or stars at slightly lower programs. There's a lot of guys in this group that, you know, and again, I'm not saying they leave. What I'm saying is when you end the year with that kind of bad taste and it comes off of a two-week break, the third of the year, and, you know, just the stressors of a season like that, like, it's just a, you know, it's winter. It's still winter, you know, <laughs> right? You're knocked out earlier. The conference room was bumped up, so it's like, March 5th, you know, it's still nasty on campus, and you're just sitting there like, and, you know, you, I've heard rumblings all year, and always do, ever since I've been doing this show, really, that there are, this kid's not happy, and this kid, but then there's wins, and it's like everybody's happy, you know what I mean, like, I think one of the things I've learned in doing this show, that I don't think I fully appreciate, I think I was mindful of it before, but before I, I did the show, and kind of like, again, I never make... I never pretend to be journalistic here, but I think I, for right reasons, I now have enough, a, a substantial number of sources. I, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I'm more important than I am, but like a substantial number of sources around the program and, and you know, even people who just are very connected to the program but are in other parts of the country, whatever. Like, you, you, you start hearing a lot about kind of the vibes, right? <laughs> like of what's going on in a program. And it's amazing. One of the things I've learned is like, I don't run with that stuff. A, cause I'm a fan and I don't really want to blow, you know, make anything worse. But B, because there it's, it's very hard to kind of like definitively capture the emotional state of a team or of a group of people anywhere office environment, right? Like think about your office, right? Like you hate everyone, but then, like, you kind of like them. You kind of love them. Like, you know them. You know, it's like... And then, like, you do a big deal and, you know, a new project and, like, there's some new blood and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I kind of like it here. I don't really want to... You know, like... So any decision to leave or transfer or move or... And if you move, go with five college, you know, is always a fraught enterprise. And it's, like, it's clear when it's a disaster and it's clear when it's, like, just awesome. And the difference sometimes between awesome and disaster is very is is like rather small and certainly impacted by the previous quarter two weeks month whatever it is in this case what i'm trying to and this is again why i'm trying to I don't overstate it but i really do think especially given the way this year has gone these next two weeks are everything for the entire future of the program so all i'm saying is that if you finish the year with a really Bummer, zero and three, and you're seven and seven. All of a sudden, guys start looking at playing time, and, and the sample size is small. You only have fourteen games. I should have done this. I should, and you could see a lot of defections because to a kid, you're not going to see a defection. I don't you, from Noah Fernandez because he's already transferred here. 
You're not going to see it. I bet you Carl Pierre is back for a fifth year because he's super tight with McCall and he's kind of just like been here forever and he is now another year of eligibility and why wouldn't you use it? And I guess Debaji would be back because he had transferred as well. I don't know his if he's graduated though because he could he could have gotten a degree because he was a year elsewhere, two years here. But I suspect he'd be back for another. And but you know he's uncertain with his injury. So I think all those guys are like obviously back, and I think every other guy could be back too. But at the same time, I don't really think any are just like automatically back you can go up and down the roster and make a case that for very different reasons each of these kids whether it's lack of playing time or playing so well that they could have other opportunities could be um you know a candidate for transfer and like that's just something you have to be prepared for and mindful of like i think a lot of people were not prepared for that last year when sean east left when samba diallo left when um Keanu Clergo left. I mean, I think you probably knew that one was coming because he was going to graduate and whatever. But you get the idea. Like, there's a lot of turnover in today's world of college basketball, and especially there has been at UMass. As far as I know, I don't have the data, but I think it's certainly above the average. It's not as wild as some people think. If you look at turnover at Rhodey last year, for instance, it's far higher. But, you know, it's not exactly like uh, freakishly uh, continuity-driven, right? Like, there's a lot of changes. And Again, not at all saying any of these kids leave. I'm just saying that you, you can't, like, there's nothing automatically keeping all these kids here, right? Like, it's, it's you know, so, and again, that's the worst case scenario. And then you have a lot, a lot of uncertainty, and you probably have to bring in a bunch of fifth-year transfers, and who knows what happens to your recruiting class, and, you know, McCall's, like, on the hot seat from the jump. You know, it's like, if he doesn't get it done now, like, blah, 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 and then, you know, whatever. And then, like, best case scenario, you get to the NIT, and it's like, well, what are you going to do now? Should you bring him back? You know, it's just not a fun situation. <laughs> Yet. And I, and there is some chance of this, especially after the encouraging performances against Fordham and Rudy without their two best players. Yet. Oh, and TJ Weeks, I think, would be, would be back for sure. Because I just think he's a, you know, family, and, like, I just think... You've got a good situation here. So those four. So let's say like seven, maybe are uncertain. So, yet. What if, what if, what if you go to Richmond tomorrow night, a Richmond team that's struggled, that is lacking the depth that would make for a sort of sure thing NCAA tournament team that some expected early on, and you win that game on the road, and then, and that's a tough matchup. UMass does not match up well with that group. They space the floor well. They've got a lot of little guards. They screen a bunch. They do a lot of things that are tricky to prepare for, in much the same way UMass struggles against Davidson and St. Bonaventure. But let's say you win that game. And then let's say you go to St. Louis, a team you who, despite their hugely talented roster, you match up well with and should have beaten last year when you weren't nearly as good. Twice. You beat them once. Should have beat them. You lost them in overtime or maybe even double overtime. In a game you gifted away, it was like, oh, that was a hard one. The point is, you match up well with them. So you win those two. You now are the, you are the league champs, regular season league champs, with a legitimate claim on that moniker. Eight and two. Pretty good. If it's college football and you were eight and two in league or whatever, I mean, I only know you play eight league games, but pretty good. Real good. Now you extend McCall, maybe extend him on the contract another year. Momentum is really... Oh, well, no, let me not not get to that yet. Hold on. So, you go 8-2, you enter with a double buy. And if you get the right matchups, you get 8-seeded Duquesne, let's say. You beat them, because you match up pretty well with them. And then in the second game, you get the 4-seed in the semis. And you get, hopefully you get not Richmond because it's going to be tough to beat him <laughs> twice in a row. And hopefully you do not get Davidson because you don't really match up well with them. Although I think you have a decent shot. You know, you only lost him by nine at home and it's tough to beat a team twice. And hopefully you don't get Bonaventure. So let's hope Bonaventure falls to the uh, 
two line in that instance, you know, you wouldn't get them for the final. And let's hope somehow, well, in that case, Richmond and St. Louis, if you beat them both, they wouldn't, you'd probably get one of them again, let's be honest. You, you get them again and you beat them, let's say, in the semi. Now, whatever happens at that point, you know, that's that's a regular season crown and an, and you've advanced the A-10 title. And now they've put a week in between the A-10 tournament and the A-10 final, which is going to be in Dayton. So can you imagine just the buzz from four straight and being 10 and four and effectively at that point uh, 10 and two in the league? There's going to be Crank saying, you know, UMass should be in the mix for an at-large. I don't think they'll have a real case, but the point is the buzz itself will have already assured us of an NIT berth. The momentum will be rolling, and you'll have a full week leading up to that game where all the casuals are paying attention now. You get a full week before a final that'll be on national TV. Regardless of what happens there, it's gravy. I mean... It's gravy for the program. I mean, it's, just, it's, just, it's look, this is a, ultimately, college basketball is a March sport. Nobody gives a shit for the for the other 50 weeks of the year, 48 weeks of the year. It's a March sport for 99% of fans, you know. And this is when everyone tunes in. So just getting a hint of that madness. And you, let's say you end up with buying or something you lose in, in Dayton. As long as it's respectable, you know, you've already won. But, but... But maybe you win. And you win the Atlantic 10 championship for the first time in 25 years. And you finish the year uh, 12 and 4, you know, with, you know, seven straight to end it, navigating the adversity of injury and COVID and. You know, you get a fucking eight seed and you beat somebody and then you lose to Gonzaga by 36 points or whatever and the season ends. It doesn't matter. At that point, well, maybe 36 would be bad, but at that point, Matt McCall becomes a candidate for jobs all over the place. He fucking leaves for BC. Who gives a shit? It's gravy. The program is rolling. You get more recruits in here. There's a buzz. You get Trey Mitchell back. You get, I mean, it's like, that is also a real I don't think it's likely but it's a real possibility that takes your program momentum wise and and by the way if you think I'm like overstating the significance of two weeks because I know there are let's call them more quantitatively informed folks who listen to the show and sort of like well each game is the same what's the difference you shouldn't go on a hot street that's fine and it's analytically correct but here's the thing there has been so many cases throughout the his, in recent history of college basketball where a coach or a team gets hot in March and it just changes the trajectory of that program, not forever necessarily, but for the foreseeable future, leads to a coach getting hired somewhere. Um, you know, people make names in March in this business, and the college presidents and even sometimes the athletic directors who make decisions on these things are just as swayed by emotion and the emotion of March and the grandeur of it all as anyone else. So let's not discount for a second the ways in which a a March run, late February into March run, could transcend the fortunes, the long-term fortunes of this program for five, ten years. I mean, you really have an opportunity here in front of you, albeit an an unlikely one and and in, in a strange setting, but I still think March is special, no matter the circumstances. You know, some people say this whole season has an asterisk, whatever, and it does. But if you were to make that run and finish the season with this, you know, 700 winning percentage or whatever, and have basically everybody back next year, I mean, can, and, and no games having been played in front of fans in essentially, by that point, 20 months can you imagine what the season ticket uh, account increase would look like? People want to go anywhere right now. Can you imagine if, if UMass was coming off of uh, their first Atlantic 10 title in 25 years? I don't care that it came in COVID. That's a big fucking deal. So those are the 
so those are the the poles here right those are the those are the extremes you can end the year with yet another middling disappointing fell apart down the stretch narrative and finish barely eke out a 500 finish or you can transcend the perch that UMass inhabits in the collegiate basketball landscape all within a two, two and a half week stretch. And while I'm here, let's just talk about the middling portion of of that the 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 kind of sorry not the middling the 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 middle of those two poles, which you know if the law of averages or whatever is right you know probably probably closer to where we finish right. Let's say you win one of the next two, still great momentum seven and three and almost definitely a top four uh, finish in the league. So you get a double buy, which is great, and then you'd catch like. You know, and, and so we say you're seven and three, and then let's say you catch up. Um, let's say you catch, uh, you know, I don't know. You're the, you're the you're the three seed or the four seed, and you catch the five, and it's like you, you play Dayton, who you match up well with, or something, and you win that one, and so you're eight and three, and then you get in the semis and you play, you know, Bonnie or Richmond or whatever again, and you don't match up well with them, and you lose, and you're eight and. Four. Four, no, so wait. So you're eight and four in the league, but overall you would be at that point. So you basically finished two and two. So you're basically nine and six to end the year. Um, that point, I think it's like you can't. That that actually might be the most interesting scenario because just as a speculative venture here. In that case, if you're nine and six. McCall will have shown substantial improvement from the um, nadir of year two and will be, you know, clearly progressing. But he has, I think, two years left on his contract. And it's not to me, a nine and six finish to me is not does not merit an extension or, or a renegotiating of the contract to, you know, in a favorable way to him. You know, it's like you got two more years. Um, that being said, you have a core group of freshmen, and if you don't extend, some will interpret that as, well they're not really sold on the future with this group, right? Like, because you could make a case, well, give them another year with these kids so that you have that. You know, like, that's that's what his proponents and I'm sure his agent would say. Now, I think, look, you know, get to the tournament next year and you can get extended as long as you fucking want. You know, I mean, that's kind of where I would be, like, if in year five. But to me, after year four, if you go nine and six in a strange pandemic year, you know, even if you end hot with a couple nice wins, it's not like... You already have you got two years, you know. And by the way, it is more like one year because you don't want to have a guy working in a contract year without certainty because then it's impossible to recruit. But again, so maybe you give him one year if it's really encouraging. Um, but you know, I mean, like it, to me, it's not like a, an automatic. And yet, you know, maybe that's a situation where players are, um, you know, don't see the certainty or whatever from administration and um you know just like whatever i mean just just you know what what is bamford thinking at that point i don't know an interesting interesting thing to ponder right um and also also i should note i think if you finish two and two that whole like transfer concern i think the wave of transfers that you, you might see after a seven and seven would be mitigated somewhat by that nine and six but there's a lot of ways in which that nine and six could play out. And does the end, because, you know, again, the narrative takes over to a certain, it metastasizes, is that the word? And, you know, let's say they, they, they're, it's nine and six, but they were leading by 13 with, <laughs> you know, I hate to do this, but like they're leading by 13 with, uh, you know, 
7.35 to go and they lose at the buzzer to George Mason or something. You know what I mean? Like, you can see these crazy scenarios playing out where it's like, I just can't do this anymore. You know, fans lose their shit. And just the vibe around the program is dog shit. And, like, you know, or it's like you made a hell of a run and... You know, you, you just played an epic semifinal game with Dayton, and both teams played great. And you know, whoever had the ball last won. It was eighty-one eighty, and you're like, you know, look, there's no telling me that if they hadn't won that game, they wouldn't have gone on and won the league. Like you just, you know, like there's there's so much that happens in March that just magnifies the way in which a program is perceived and evaluated, and. You know, you you don't you don't have to like that, but it, it's just a reality, and um, and I think you know that will be that's what's going to happen. I mean, something in those you know in that mold is gonna is gonna happen in the next two weeks. And for me, like, do I like that it played out this way, where these two games make you a league champ after like staring down the barrel of ninth place, you know, in the, like, moments before your previous game? No. It's a weird setting, right? Um, do I think that the progress we've seen or, you know, sort of glimpses of progress we've seen lately um, would be offset by a 0-3 finish? Yes, I do. <laughs> because you don't have a big sample size, right? You're not playing a lot of games. So... For better or for worse, these games take on a significance that is really, you know, not comparable with anything we've seen in the past. I guess there will be some that say, like, fuck it, none of it matters. And if you can convince me on that, like, great, you know, like, just... But I think given where McCall is as a coach and the struggles he's had the overcoming of them takes on greater significance and if he doesn't overcome them then that is like well look we've got we've we've had a lot to look at now and this is who he is you know so for him i mean gosh the fucking stress like <laughs> and look maybe i'm contributing to you know that narrative cuz clearly i just crafted it but i don't see how you i i could see how you'd see it another way but not so far removed from what i said that it wouldn't impact his future career prospects. You know, put up or shut up time. You know, I mean, this is it, man. And it sucks because these next two in particular, it sucks. I mean, it's just not, it just sucks. Like, so there is, given that, I should note, there's a weird scenario I could envision where given the short amount of time between when you very possibly could face St. Louis or Richmond again, there is a, strange part of me that's like I kind of just want to lose these games if we're going to see them again or I want to lose to the team that we end up playing again because I just we saw it with Northeastern earlier in the year and we you know we always see it but especially now where you just played a team I mean you play St. Louis Monday night <laughs> you you get to the tournament and you could if you don't win one of those and don't get a top four you're playing again on Thursday because the Wednesday is the pillow fight game. But you win Thursday. There's a scenario if you're like the seven seed or something that you're playing them again Friday. So you're there's a real distinct possibility you're playing one of these teams. Uh, I mean, with St. Louis, that you're playing them twice in a week. And there's no, there's no way, I mean, there's limited way that I think that either of those teams sweeps the other. I just I just don't see it. So I guess I'm telling you that if if you had a crystal ball and you told me we were playing St. Louis five days later, I would absolutely tell you right now, let's lose the first one. I know that's crazy to say and that's a fan thing, like but I, I that's how I see it. So if if it means and by the way, if it means that we'd have to there's a scenario in which we'd play them both again, then I wanna lose both. <laughs> So I'm not going to get, I mean, I'm sure I'll be, I'm saying this now because I know that I'll be in, you know, my, my mood will be totally informed by the results of the next two games, but I'm saying this now, like from a rational place, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like be freaking out 
or I should, one, one should not rationally freak out about the outcomes of these games as we enter the A10 tournament. I mean, obviously you want you don't want to see them playing terribly and having quit and just like being miserably out of shape, which is a concern given that they didn't practice for a week and a half, the height of the season. But all that aside, it would be highly um encouraging if they lost the next two and then were like locked in and ready for the A10 tournament and got them got them again or even got one of them again. So I'm just trying to say, rationally speaking, we should not cast aspersions or or begin the intense doubting process until we see what they look like, you know, to start the A10 tournament. These next two, even if they lose, it's like, whatever, you still have just as much. It's not as if, to me, it's not like, oh, we'll win these next two and then we'll be... We'll, we'll all feel really good, like, we're on a roll here and we're going to win the A-10 tournament. I don't see it like that. The break between the games and just the fact that we've there's so many things we haven't seen, to me, kind of negates the, the lessons that you can learn from these next two, either way. So there's an argument to be made, like, let's just win the next two and, like, who even cares what happens in the A-10 tournament? It's a stupid year anyway. If we can get a regular season crown and go to the NIT, I'll take it. That's a legitimate argument. I mean, I think you got to shoot for the stars. It's college basketball. You want to go to the NCAA tournament. But, you know, like if you told me you're going to go 0-2 in these next two, but you get to win the two after that, and then we won't tell you what happens in the A-10 final, I'm taking that 100 times out of 100. Like, you know, there's certainly probably a small subset of listeners who would say, um, I'd rather take 2-0 and and one and one in the A ten tournament than the scenario you just described. So basically finish three and one and lose in the semis. Nah. Like I'm taking two and two with a chance in the final. Like that you, you, how could you not? I mean, come on. Like so and at that point, you know, we'll just come back here and we'll talk matchups. Like that's that's what it's all about in the A ten tournament. I should have Stu Ludicky on to break down the A ten tournament. Somebody remind me. Stu, jump in my DMs. Um but yeah, that's where we're at. I mean, that is where we're at. I don't, I don't know if there's any other way to describe it. Uh, Richmond, you know, we know both these are good clubs. I, I don't even need to get into the personnel because, in a certain sense, this is really not about anything but UMass right now. And this UMass basketball podcast, but like the opponent breakdown, like given the circumstances, it's just. I was going back and forth with some Richmond people earlier today, and it, you know, it just who knows, right? I mean, like both these, all these teams have been super uncertain now. And then, and then it looks like Bones Highland, you know, probably the best player in the league right now, might be out for the rest of the year because of an injury. So VCU all, look, all of a sudden super vulnerable after losing George Mason this weekend. And, you know, Davidson still really good, but, you know, if we win the next two, we surpass them. So it, once we get to that conference tournament, it's all about matchups. And I, I think somebody, maybe Michael Bergman in front of the show, did some sort of scenario thing tonight um, where he sort of broke down the possibilities. All I want, you know, again, I am, my biggest concern right now is avoiding St. Bonaventure as long as we can. I think not only are they the, probably the best team in the league right now, but they're, they've, they, we, even when they were sort of perceived as the fourth or fifth best team in the league, they're the worst team for us. We match up really poorly with them. They're really balanced. They run, really difficult offense to scout for. They're very disciplined. Our press isn't going to be as effective against them because Kyle Lofton is such a stud. They have, you know, um, Oshunahi who can guard Trey. I mean, they've got a bunch of wings who can score size. I mean, they're just good. And and, and, and they're a bad matchup for us. I think St. Louis probably, man for man, probably a little more talented. But the, the style of play um, is really good for us. So, my biggest priority right now, if I'm if I'm thinking in terms of the sort of next five games or, or you know upwards of five, is just avoiding St. Bonaventure as long as we can. And however we do that is my priority, right? So if you tell me, well, you win the league, you get the one seed, and Bonnie has the two, that's great because that means you don't play them until the final, you know, provided things, whatever. And then my second priority is basically avoiding Davidson and or Richmond if we lose or excuse me if we beat Richmond tomorrow night 
So I don't think we I think we can beat Richmond. Their depth is lacking um and they're beatable. I do not think they're beatable twice. So what I want right now is avoid Bonnie, avoid Richmond if you beat him. Could say the same about St. Louis, but I still think even in a second matchup we'd have a better chance against them, like even if we beat them. And then Davidson you don't want to play. But again, you know, you're never going to get a perfect shake. It's, you know, I mean, a perfect shake would be you get the one seed, Bonnet gets the two, you play, um, you know, in the first game, you play like eighth seeded, um, I mean, the best case scenario would be like, like one of those pillow fight teams wins two games and you get them or something like that, you know. But you play like, I don't know, whoever, the eighth seed, and you win. And then your the four seed is like um, VCU uh, with you know Highland still injured again. Not rooting for that at all. I'm just noting like realistically. Um, or uh, you know I'm trying to think Dayton. Let's say they could eke in there. I guess probably not. Anyway, that's that's where you want to go. So. That's what I'm looking for. It's going to be a constantly checking the standings. It's going to be a fun week, few week, a couple weeks. So let's let's like before I do say, go, you know, end the show or move to mailbag. Let's just enjoy it. I mean, like, and let's not stop enjoying it until the conference tournament's over because the next two could be really tough. But you know what? The way this team's been, like, who fucking knows? Like, what if you just? What if you? What if you just? Win the next two, and you win the league, and you get the one seed, and you are rolling into two more wins, and then you're got to, I mean, like, just envision that. Just feel excited. Like, it's a bad year, man. It's a bad year. 500,000 people have died of a wretched disease. Not disease, excuse me. Pen. I mean, it is a disease. It's a virus, but it's a virus. I mean, like, I don't want to get all existential here, but it's like, it's been a hard year. No one's seen each other. We're just talking shit on the internet. And, you know, I mean, like, give yourselves a moment to, to believe. And if it if it all goes awry, it's like, well, I mean, we've all seen worse. We all watch Blake Lucas kick. It's like, I mean, we've all, many of us have seen Goldwire kill us in 08. I mean, there's plenty of horror stories. So if we, if we have another horror story at the end of this, well, I mean, like, Life moves on. All right, gang. That's all I got for now. Go UMass. It's time to pay dues, deliver the news. Like UMass, we refuse to lose. Rhymes and booze, the life we choose. Fight with the mic till our tongue gets bruised. No shame in our game. Things stay the same.